Hello and welcome to The Home Building Hero, where we help you become the hero of your new home by providing you all the information that you need. No matter if you're building, buying, or designing your next project, we got you covered here at The Home Building Hero. I'm excited today. We are here with Jim Tobin, the Executive Vice President and Chief Lobbyist of the National Association of Home Builders, and Carl Eckhart, the VP of Intergovernmental Affairs at the National Association of Home Builders. So, hey, Jim. Hey, Carl. Welcome to The Home Building Hero. Hey, David. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time out of the day. I know you guys are constantly busy and constantly fighting for housing, uh, even if you can't necessarily be at the Capitol. So we appreciate that. <laughs> All right. So let's get started. I'd like to get a little background for our listeners here. So I'd like you to explain kind of how you got interested in government affairs and then kind of how you got involved with the building industry. So uh, Jim, I'll start with you and then we'll, we'll turn it over to Carl. Uh, well, th thanks, Dave. Yeah, uh, I, I, when I graduated uh, high school and went into college, I originally went to the American University here in Washington, D.C., and just fell in love with D.C. And, and politics. Ended up finishing my, uh, my bachelor's degree at the University of Connecticut uh, in my, my home state of, of Connecticut. And when I graduated there, what I, all I wanted to do was come, come back down and, uh, and work back in Washington, D.C. I uh, got an internship on Capitol Hill. Uh, and then, and then, which turned into a, a full-time gig for for a home state member, my my original member of Congress from Connecticut. Uh, he lost in 1996. Then I hooked up with a member of Congress from from California, uh, which actually represented a, a congressional district bigger than the entire state of Connecticut. So, a little little Connecticut, and then transferred into the big state of California. Uh, that member decided to retire in 1998. And uh, when when looking, for, I knew I I didn't want to keep looking for a job every two years in the House side. And so I decided to apply for a job where a good friend of mine worked at the National Association of Home Builders. They had such a great reputation on Capitol Hill. Uh, their, their, uh, their issues were issues that I believed in uh, and, and, and worked on on Capitol Hill. So it was kind of a, na a natural transition, especially as a young staffer, you tend to gravitate towards an association because the name of the association is so big that you can, it helps you get your own name out there um, and then Absolutely. You, it gives you instant credibility, right? Yeah, that's right. You build your own brand and who would have known, you know, now it's, you know, 21, almost 22 years later. And here I am doing the, doing the same issues, you know, been, been fortunate enough to, uh, to, to work my way up through the ranks and, and get to work with great people like, like Carl and our, our whole team at NAHP. So, yeah, that's awesome. And obviously for being there for that long, you've got just such institutional knowledge. And I would imagine instant credibility when you're, when you're talking to, to our officials, uh, bringing up the information that, that they need and they know that, you know, you've been around and, you know, you know what you're talking about, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. So how about you, Carl? Let's uh, hear a little bit about your background. Sure. Um, I, um, similar to Jim, worked, uh, worked the different, different jobs up the, up the ladder. But when I was uh, a senior in college at uh, Iowa State, uh, I got an internship with uh, um, home state senators campaign and that was the first time I really got to see the sort of inside workings of a real campaign. And um, I graduated and made my parents very proud and got a job uh, driving a dump truck for a roofing company. And uh, I'd done that during college and, uh, and that kind of was my, my spot there for a few months. And then I got picked up by that same campaign. And uh, that's when I really kind of fell in love with politics and government affairs and constituent service and the, the chance to. You like that better than driving a dump truck, huh? Good. I, I did. Yeah. I did. I, I will say uh, I took a massive pay cut 
uh, <laughs> to to uh, to give up the dump truck. But uh, it 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 was a bit better for these me. These days, it's actually kind of believable. We got a labor shortage. <laughs> right. Yeah. The uh, but the the guys I worked with always said that I was um, I was too smart and too stupid to to drive a dump truck, uh, which is true. So um, I worked in uh, different political campaigns for quite a while. Uh, then worked on Capitol Hill, uh, and uh, when when that got done, I kind of bounced around a, a few more campaigns, and then uh, kind of like Jim said, I needed a job that I got paid uh, in December instead of getting fired every November. And yeah, I suppose that's got to be hard to be a, a staffer on a campaign team because it's just it's kind of temporary. Yeah, you just never know. Um, so the home builders were were hiring, and uh, I convinced them. That I was the right guy, <clears throat> and um, you yeah, know, for me it was it was perfect. I got to still work politics, but I got out of the partisan politics and into the issue politics, and okay. um, that's what I really love about NHB. Is it where uh, you know I came in maybe working one party, but I was instantly had to work both and work the issue. And I did have some background in the construction industry, and I I like it. Um, I think it's important, you know, so it's a, this is not just a job, it's something I believe in, the people I believe in, you know, members. Like I think you're making a massive impact because it's, you know, this is on the national level. So you've got, you know, hundreds of thousands of members and then, you know, all their trades and everybody. So that affects a lot of people. And then you think about of people that own homes and uh, maybe wouldn't be able to do that if we weren't fighting, you know, for them and fighting for their rights as a homeowner. So it's, it's, it's pretty impactful what you guys do. So kind of leapfrogging off of that, what's, what's a typical day? What do you guys typically do as a lobbyist for the Builders Association? Huh. Well, there are no typical days anymore, right? I think it's a tagline of uh, no, what it, no easy days. Um, yeah, well, let's, 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 let's pretend that, that life looked like it did back in March instead of what it looks like in April, May, and now almost June. Um, if, I, I mean, for the, for the lobbying team, it, it's it communication. You know, when, when Carl and I started, you didn't have a, you didn't have a, there was no such thing as a cell phone. Uh, you're up on Capitol Hill. You're talking directly to people. Um, and, uh, and it was, a, it was a much different, you know, we, we relied on, on, on a clipping service to kind of get the, the high, the high, the, uh, the high level talking points of what was going on for the day. I, you know, you have to, when I first started Capitol Hill, you'd walk over to the campaign committee and on the desk, you get a, you get this, you know, 30 page clipping of all the major issues from all the major newspapers. And that was how a member of Congress got, uh, got a lot so of kind of almost so, even pre-internet. Yeah, just just technology in in the first cell phones were, were you know, and then it was you know tapping your little your little keypad in order to send a, a text message, and now of course you got full blown, you know, iPhones and uh, and and you know, heck the Blackberries is as much a dinosaur, and that was the the coolest whiz bang device yeah. out as far as most of us concerned. Well, that's kind of fascinating. I mean, just to kind of dive on that a little further, um, how, how has social media changed the position? I mean, just, just, just for me, I, I wake up every day and, you know, read what the president's tweets were that morning, because that is what, that is what's going to drive the news cycle for the rest of the day. Sure. That's crazy. Um, how just something as simple as a tweet can yeah, and, influence and, you know, everything. A lot of stuff is just done by, by social media rather than anything else. So um, a lot, just, it's just, it's just absorbing information and then turning that around and using that uh, to aid our ability to get our policy on, on Capitol Hill or in the White House passed. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, how about Carl? What do you what's uh, what's your typical day, and how are your positions? You know, a little different. Sure, I, I think the um, uh, well, typical day. So today, for example, um, 
Yeah, this morning we worked on our uh, upcoming lobby day. <clears throat> so our legislative conference to be uh, June 22nd uh, to 24. Just a plug. Make sure yep. to do the virtual. For members, yep. yeah. Yeah, because we have, we have some people that are members here and then obviously we have consumers on the podcast yep. as well. We'll take anybody. Uh, and then this afternoon I was on a, a, a Zoom call with the city council and fire chief from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And uh, that city council is looking at doing fire sprinklers. Um, and one of our favorite topics. <laughs> yeah, we met with, uh, with them and said, look, that's not the best way to approach the problem. Um, had an hour and a half long meeting with them, with our members. And um, you know, then you know, later tonight, there's a, a, another Zoom call with the staff from um, different governor's offices that the uh, Republican Governors Association is putting together. So we spend our time uh, you know, at the state and local side doing the policy work, but also uh, uh, helping our, um, you know, our, our local, uh, I, I like to say our, our job is to make the, the local and state association staff look good. We're like yep. their sports agent. You know, yeah. Like, and, and I think a lot of people don't realize that in our federation, there's three levels. There's the local, the state, and the national, and we all have our own functions and we're all sort of, you know, local obviously is trying to deal with your local boards and your town boards and things like that. And your state is going to handle all your statewide issues and dealing with the governor and assembly. And then you have the national issues, which are, you know, Congress and Senate. And then also, of course, you know, the president as well. So um, without everybody working at all three levels, uh, you know, you could be attacked at any level and we could have issues popping up at any way. So, um, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of times local issues start to work their way and also they become national issues. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think if we, if we can do a good enough job poking holes in the arguments or um, you know, even stopping it, then, you know, the federal lobbyists have an uh, easier way of making that, making the case uh, they're in. Sure. And I'm sure once you've had an issue somewhere and you've helped out locally, then it sort of creates a, a blueprint or a template going forward to hopefully uh, give other people a, a good chance to, to fight something off that's maybe not fair or, uh, you know, against uh, housing affordability, for example. Yeah, so I mean, kind of, oh, yeah, I mean, go ahead. Just, just to give a plug, plug for Carl, he's been working for the last, God, at least a year and a half, two years on uh, design standards. And that's, that's you know, it, it's in the different states across country, Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, and just, and, and just Oklahoma just recently passed a statewide law prohibiting localities from putting in design standards, uh, essentially that are, that, are, that are created to drive up or drive down affordability to keep certain people out of their communities. That is a blueprint that Carl has used uh, across those different states to get to be successful in other states. So that's one of, the, one of the great things that Carl does is that he's kind of the incubator of, of good and sometimes bad ideas. Uh, the, challenge, of course, <laughs> the challenge, of course, is that most of the, the bad ideas uh, and, and, and members of, uh, of, of, of state or uh, localities, the bad ideas, find, somehow work their way up to Congress, and then they bring those bad ideas for the whole country. Sure. So that's well, I, I think we've all been there, too, where we've had, you know, hey, I think this, is, this would help our industry. And our intentions are really good. And then we get it up there and then all of a sudden what it ends up getting drafted and what comes out are a completely different thing. And sometimes some of the things I think we want sometimes hurt us uh, as, as the people that actually have put the, the law together don't necessarily interpret the same way that, that we do. Is that, have you seen that happen? Yeah, ne never, I've never met a member of Congress uh, that, that is anti-housing. I've never met anybody who says, we need to knock all the houses down. People need to live in trees and in teepees, right? No yeah. one ever says that. 
but man, there are some bad ideas out there that have those unintended consequences you're talking about. Yeah. So uh, let's talk a little bit about our industry's number one issue, which is housing affordability. And what, what is specifically the National Association of Home Builders doing right now to help address those concerns? Well, uh, you know, and David, you talk about kind of the three stools, state, state uh, local, state, and federal, and, and we're all fighting the same issue, right? Carl's working on the same issues that I, that I am at the, at the federal level. Uh, but I think, I think first and foremost, regulations, regulations, regulations. You know, 25% of the cost of a single family unit, over 30% of the cost of a multifamily unit is directly attributable to, to regulations at all three levels of government. So for us, it's about unwinding that. And we've been very lucky over the last three and a half years that we've got a very receptive audience in the White House and in the, in the regulatory agencies are, who are trying to unwind some of those regulations. Uh, President Trump, just about a year ago, put an executive order into play uh, looking to roll back the regulations that are impeding housing affordability, uh, we were we were proud to help uh, help uh, you know suggest make suggestions for what should be in that executive order. Our our chairman at the time, Greg Ugaldi, stood in the Oval Office while the president signed that. I had that picture. Then, yeah, I, yeah, I remember right. sharing that. That was awesome. Yeah, and then and then I I think uh, you know over the next couple of months we expect that final report to come out. HUD is the uh, the kind of the agency of oversight. We expect to see the, the, the accumulation of, of that work over the, over the course of the year and, and our efforts to give them regulations that they need to tackle. Uh, so that's been one area where we've been really trying to work on the federal level to drive down housing, drive up housing affordability. Yeah, and that's obviously one of the biggest causes of the, the affordability crisis in homes is just so much regulation. And I've, I've used that number here in Wisconsin, it's $84,671 you know, per home from local, state, and federal government. And I'm glad to have you guys on here because I've, I've mentioned that before. I had somebody comment to me once that I said, they, sh they said I should do my research. And I said, well, that is research. That's an actual number. I don't think people believe that. Nope. And, uh, you know, you guys did that study back in 2015. I know uh, this is the year for you guys to do that again. What's your expectation for that number? Do you expect it to, to continue to go up or go down or stay the same? Where are you thinking that's going to head if you had to guess? Uh, you know, I think it's going to go up, actually. Uh, you, you're bad in Wisconsin. California, no. it's $600,000. $600,000. Before you put a shovel in the ground. Yeah, well, I can believe that because obviously with the new things that they're doing with the net zero and the solar, uh, I, yeah, it's, uh, that's almost uh, like saying don't build. <laughs> right, right. I think that's going to be our our challenges, you know, everybody, um, like Jim said before, everybody talks about, we want the home to be net zero. We want the, uh, everything to be perfect, but that's great. Uh, if, but unless you're a, you know, multimillionaire, but if you're a teacher or, uh, you know, a carpenter or even a lobbyist, you can't afford to live anywhere. So it's, it's, we have to balance that out. And I think we win that argument, but we have to make that argument. And that's what, uh, makes the house, cost more. It's just, it's yeah. Never and we're not building these things like we were back in the past. Let's face it. Um, they're much safer. They're much more affordable, uh, much more energy efficient. And yet we continue to raise the bar. And I think sometimes um, I know one of the things that you guys had mentioned in the past was like energy codes and energy standards and how, you know, they want to just do these percentage increases, but it's kind of the law of diminishing returns. When you, you start to get to a certain point and you've raised the, 
the standard's so high, it gets very difficult and very expensive to get to the next even small half percent or percent that you need. So sometimes these standards, I don't think, uh, while they're um, noble, they don't necessarily uh, do what they're intended to do. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and, and that's, that's better to, you know, if you raise the codes issue, that's, you know, as much as we've been you know, Corona you know, virus 24 seven for the last three months. Now we were right, right before the whole pandemic hit, we were working on energy code legislation where the federal government was going to have a much broader role in writing energy codes. And we don't, we don't need the federal government coming in. We want, we want, you know, Wisconsin to do their own thing and, and be able to have the freedom to, to balance affordability with state and local uh, lawmakers and code writers and builders and other stakeholders, not not worry about what Washington DC is doing and trying to drive, you know, as Carl said, a, you know, net zero or anything like that. Yeah, and I think that makes a lot of sense because, you know, how I build a home here in Wisconsin versus how somebody builds one in Arizona or even Florida or yeah. California for that matter, they're all different. We all are facing different issues. Climates are vastly different, even just, you know, the, the way the sun hits and, and the angles and everything. I mean, that's why like even regionally you get different types of windows in different markets and things like that because um, you build it according to the climate that you have and uh, a one size fits all doesn't really work uh, in, in the size of country that we have, at least in my opinion. So you kind of mentioned earlier uh, that you've had a lot of accessibility with um, the president and his staff on deregulation. Um, what are some maybe specific examples of things that uh, he's done or his administration has done uh, to help housing? Yeah, well, I think uh, first and first off, I think the, the big one we point to is, is, is the, the rewrite of the waters of the U.S. Uh, regulation. That, that was a, in 2015, the Obama administration, uh, they put out their rule. It, it, was, it was not workable. Uh, we thought it, it well stretched past uh, congressional intent. Uh, so we worked very hard with this administration to issue a new rule, which they did just over the last couple of months. Uh, and we think we think it's much more balanced. We think it, it, it protects the waters that it needs to protect, leaves the states to do some of their own protection, uh, but also make sure that, that when, a, when a developer goes on a piece of property and looks at it, they know that this is a navigable water and it needs to be mitigated if they're going, going to fill it. But that, that tire rut that's got some rainwater in it from last week, that is clearly not a navigable water. And that does, and that does not need to be mitigated. So yeah, and that's that's huge to have the clarity because you know that that can slow down and cost more money than anything. Just having, you know, something that you get you get one person interpreting it, and you give even just a small person locally the power to to make that decision. It could literally you know shut down a huge development or uh, something like that. So it was it was really good when that first came out before. Trump got in, that was pretty scary um, looking at what they were trying to do with that. And it, here in Wisconsin, we have a lot of places where we have standing water and things like that. And uh, it's already challenging to develop, but then you, you, you put that on top of it, and it would have probably wiped out a lot of our uh, developable land in our area. And uh, we, have, we have a shortage of housing here as well. And you know, the harder you make it, the, just the more expensive it's gonna get and the customers pay for that at the end of the day. That's right. Uh, so the other thing that's been, you know, a big challenge and it kind of came up in 2018 was tariffs. And uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, that's had a big uh, cost increase on our homes. So we have not only softwood lumber uh, tariffs from Canada, but then uh, shortly thereafter, the Chinese tariffs came up. And uh, obviously, I know you guys have been very involved with that. So, you know, 
kind of where do we stand now? Kind of what's been done with it so far, and, and kind of where do you see it going? Well, uh, Canadian software lumber is is really is dormant, I would say, right now. The the, the negotiation of a new software lumber agreement. I think now we're got four years now in you know past its expiration. Uh, I think it expired during Obama's term. Uh, so we have seen the tariffs, uh, the 20% tariffs. It was just two years ago where we saw these enormous spikes in lumber prices, uh, where I think you know some of the lumber companies uh, had cut back, scaled back production, even though the industry was ramping up and had a need for more lumber. Uh, you know, we're in, in, and then you look at a 20% tariff, roughly a 20% tariff on the different companies. Uh, so those lumber spikes up over six, 60% in the price of lumber. And then by the end of that summer, I'm glad you said that, by the way, because that was something else I mentioned. I don't think people believe me, but yeah, it was that the tariff went up 20%, but yet our cost, you, yes. you know, your pay at the pump price went up 60%. That's right. And That's right. Um, I know you guys were very active in that and fighting that. Yep. And, and, and then we saw, and then we saw prices, you know, fall back to, you know, more, more traditional value, which was great because that helped play into our affordability push uh, where, where lumber, you know, for, for you know, the better part of a year was was hurting us on affordability, then became an affordable uh, commodity, which is which has been very helpful. And then, like you said, the, the, the tariffs uh, with the Chinese tariffs have, have not been been very helpful. Twenty or twenty five percent on you know there's a, a they call it the, there's a third list, and of that list, there's about uh, six or seven hundred items that come directly from China that are that come to our industry, whether it's power tools, nails, a variety of of, of, of things that we use. Those, those tariffs are still in effect. Um, and now I think the, the, the real danger is the tariffs aside is just supply chain issues with all the problems with the coronavirus in China yeah. and now our own, our own issues here in, in the U.S. I, I think the tariffs are almost going to take a back seat to just the supply chain constriction that's going to start driving affordability issues for us in, you know, in the near term. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, obviously we've been trying to order things early and make sure that as soon as we have a selection that we've got it ordered so we don't have shortages because we know that that's going to come. But has, has the uh, coronavirus and obviously this as a genesis over in China, has that can kind of uh, decreased the relationship that we have there? And is, is that slowed down the, the, the phase two and phase three uh, tariff negotiations? Yeah, or is it just so. stalled because of the the coronavirus? Yeah, I, I think I think the world is stalled uh, right now because of the virus. Um, I but I do think the relationship is is a little more strained than it has been, and we've seen these kind of spikes and valleys, uh, you know, on the relationship. But I think right now, you know, the, the, the Chinese aren't happy that the president is calling it the Chinese virus. Sure, uh, of course. And, and now they're threatening all kinds of retaliatory issues. Um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd say there's a, you know, plus you have unrest in Hong Kong. I, I think I think the relationship is strained to say the least. Sure. Yeah, and that's, uh, I think uh, it was great to see the progress and obviously have an initial deal made. But then I know I remember talking to you at one of the events and, you know, kind of found out that that really wasn't going to do our industry a lot of good yet. It was progress, which is, is great. But uh, obviously the Chinese negotiate differently that Americans do as well. And their, their longer term, their idea of long-term and our idea of long-term are very different. And so they look generationally and we look, you know, like two years down the road is long-term. Or, or, or in four-year increments pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, and so I guess just talking about that really quick as well. So um, this is going to be obviously a very uh, interesting election year. It's going to be very uh, probably probably as controversial or uh, explosive, I would think, as any, any year prior. Uh, where, how do you see things shaping up uh, this fall? 
Well, I'll, I'll start with President Joel. I'll Carl talk a little bit about uh, kind of what he's seeing because he's going to he's he, he's he's the quarterback of our of our election team. Uh, so obviously in a swing state, David, you're you're going to uh, if get bombarded. <laughs> you know, if your airways aren't bombarded yet, you're going to you're they're going to be. Um, I, I think I think it's it's a 50 50 country right now, and I think it's uh, you know and I I wouldn't be surprised if the, whoever wins the election wins with a plurality, not necessarily an outright majority. Uh, I still think it's President Trump's to lose, and uh, you know, as, as I said, there's days where I feel like he's throwing it away with both hands, just with some of the stuff that he does. Um, but I do think that if if the if the rebound is 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 the V shape that that people are predicting, where uh, that by the time we get to September and October, we're seeing double digit uh, you know, hiring increases, uh, and the GDP is is spiking. You know, we're getting close to. You know, while it's going to take a while for this to unwind itself, but we see some real progress towards getting back to normalcy. I think that certainly helps the the, the president, and he'll be be viewed as kind of kind of shepherding us through here. Vice President, you know, Biden's going to have all the all the money that he needs, uh, and there are just a, this rock solid group of people that would vote for anybody other than President Trump. The same side, there are people that will vote for President Trump no matter what happens. Sure, Carl, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I I agree, of course. With Jim, I think the uh, I think the other the other aspect is how are people going to vote? Um, you know, it's going to be a, a more vote by mail uh, election. Uh, I know there's all this controversy out there on the internet's about voting by mail, but it, it is safe and it is a a secure way to, to vote. Oregon has been doing vote by mail for a generation, uh, so it's a it's fine. But I think that's going to be different. And if you're not used to that, you know, are you going to follow the timeline? Is the state going to make that easier or harder? Um, but I think the the impact of the coronavirus is going to be more in 2022, and I, at the at the local level elections. Sure. Um, cities are broke. They're absolutely decimated. States are decimated. If you're up this time as a U.S. Senator or a state Senator, you can probably sneak through and just say, look what I did, I, I worked really hard for you. But in 22, when the state raises taxes or raises fees or fires the teacher or uh, closes the fire station, then you're not gonna get reelected. I think that's the impact we're gonna really have to work at. Um, yeah, and I don't think people have looked that far out. And that's, uh, you know, I think one of the things that someone else had suggested, I think it was your your colleague, uh, Mr. Dietz, that suggested that, you know, they might go after housing for, for some of this funding and uh, it's already very unaffordable. So, uh, you know, I guess that's something that we have to be mindful of and, and keep an eye on because it's, you got to keep housing first and housing matters uh, because if we don't have a place to live, uh, uh, everything else is uh, uh, challenged as well. So if I could put a plug in though, the, the housing voter, I think has the, the ability this this election to, to make a huge difference. I mean, if that's what you are, if you're a um, living in the city and you now think, oh, I need to go out in the country and have more space and a home office, um, you got to vote the right people into office so that you can you can do that. Absolutely. This is the, the it's time. The, time. It, the elections matter and they they make a big difference. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I think you're right. Obviously, economy and and everything is going to really weigh heavily. Obviously. Um, People are going to be having coronavirus and, you know, preparations on their mind, but also I think the economy is going to be forefront for, for anybody that's voting this, uh, this fall. Yeah. And, and, and David, just what you what kind of where the intersection of what Carl does and what, what, what I do, 
um, in, in the federal team. You know, Carl's been a huge advocate for the federal government to, to send to send you know significant funds to the state and local governments uh, in driving our policy. You know, as he talks to his friends at the mayors and the governors. Uh, you know, he's you know he and I talk all the time about you know we, we, Congress needs to step up and help these out help out these state these struggling state and local governments. Like you said, you think about services, but think about inspectors and and departments and planning commissions and think about the things that you just just to get a house built and then you talk about layering on the fees that are going to potentially get 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 increased on this it really is a housing affordability issue uh that carl sees on the on the state and local issue that i can help on the on the on the federal level too well, that's fantastic. I know you guys are working really hard for us. Um, one one uh, last question here before we kind of wrap up. So obviously the other big challenge in our industry is skilled labor. And uh, now obviously unemployment has uh, risen uh, very high, but that doesn't necessarily help our industry. Do you want to explain kind of why that's, even though there's a lot of people uh, looking for work, that it's maybe not going to help our industry right away? Well, I think a couple of things, uh, you know, despite the, 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 the people want to label, you know, home, uh, you know, home, home builders and, and contractors is, is low skilled. You have to be skilled to work on a job site. Uh, Absolutely. Yep. And, and that's so, the, that's the right answer. <laughs> you know, working with our friends at HBI, it's, it's, you know, we, we want to try to get, we, we were, we're an advocate for uh, a, a, a pumped up skills training uh, dollars coming out of Congress. We saw that in the, in the latest offering from the house of representatives a few weeks ago. Uh, we want to get some of that money into HBI's hand and the, how, in the, in the national endowment and get them to train some of these people uh, and, and get them into the workforce. I think the most significant thing at NAHB, and Carl was, was the tip of the spear on this, uh, was making sure that the industry was, has been building for the last three months. Uh, you saw you know, people panicked in March about what, in April, what does this mean? Can, we, can our job site safe? You know, Carl was working with all of our EOs, uh, state and local EOs across the country to make sure that states recognize that building is essential and can be safe. Uh, he was working with our, our, our safety our safety group uh, in our regulatory department led by Rob Matuga, uh, putting out safety guidelines for our industry, being able to carry those guidelines to the governor's office and then telling them we can be safe on, on the job site, keep us essential and other than a handful of states that were the hardest hit, Washington State, New York in particular, Michigan, um, <laughs> and Michigan of course, right? They're, now they're all open. Um, but other than those, those handful of states, the industry by and large was continuing to move, which if you've lost your job because you're in retail or in a restaurant or a variety of services, there was an industry for you to step into and provide for your family, develop a skill, and hopefully we, we, we retain those people. Absolutely. That's fantastic. And once again, I want to thank you guys for all your effort. Um, thanks again to Jim Tobin, the chief lobbyist here at the National Association of Builders and Carl Eckhart, VP of Intergovernmental Affairs. That's a long one. <laughs> and uh, I want to thank you guys for everything that you do, the work that you do at the Capitol uh, on behalf of all our members. Uh, it's very well appreciated. Uh, sometimes you're working behind the scenes on all this stuff and uh, uh, things would look a lot different if you weren't there every day. Uh, watching and keeping a watchful eye on all these issues for us. So thank you again for being on the Home Building Hero podcast. We appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. All right. And uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you share it. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast, wherever you're listening uh, to the Home Building Hero, just hit the subscribe button and you'll get notified every time we drop a new episode. 
Uh, once again, I'm David Bellman with Bellman Homes. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Home Building Hero, and we'll talk to you very soon.